0: I heard that song for the first time in college, and this beautiful young lady that I was dating that you just heard sing introduced me to her incredible contemporary Christian music collection. Those were the days in college, you know, it wasn't until the middle of my high school that compact disc sales of music outsold cassette tapes. And so, most of Jennifer's collection of songs and most of my collection of songs were cassette tapes. And it was probably a cassette tape when I first heard that song because Jennifer introduced me to the music of Rich Mullins. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 96. I couldn't think of a better way to start than for us just to hear a portion of that amazing song that a lot of folks didn't even know that Rich wrote because Amy Grant made it popular in 1982. But Rich was the genius behind that song and so many other songs. When I first started hearing his songs, I was struck by the profound depth of his lyrics. He was a poet. I couldn't believe the complexity of the music. I mean, even this song you heard—he's playing a hammered dulcimer, not the kind of instrument you normally hear on Christian radio today. And then he, at the beginning of the song, you have Johann Sebastian Bach's Fugue Number Two in C Minor from the Well-Tempered Clavier Book One, and it just builds from there to a mighty crescendo. I put the Lyrics of just that first portion of the song in your handout, in the bulletin. You can, you can go now with our technology and YouTube it, Google it, listen to the whole song. I took a class in, semin- in, in college called Form and Analysis, and we could have used this song in class. It has a very distinct form, structure. But it was the lyrics of the song to sing your praise to the Lord. And that's what we're going to see in our passage, Psalm 96. Look there with me. We'll read all 13 verses. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For the gods of all the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples." Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory, do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord. In the splendor of holiness, tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. As James Boyce writes in his commentary, a marvelous summary of this psalm, this is a joyful hymn to God of Israel. A joyful hymn to the God of Israel as king. And an invitation to the nations of the world to join Israel in praising him. It is also a prophecy of a future day when God will judge the entire world. righteousness I'm just gonna walk through the text and then bring some truths at the end of the message we're commanded to do multiple things in the first three verses of Psalm 96 verse 1 begins oh sing to the Lord a new song that song you heard a minute ago might have been a new song for you, sing your praise to the Lord. We enjoy it when our favorite musical artist will come out with a new song. But the emphasis here is not as much on the newness of any song. The point the psalmist is saying is singing a new song about some new thing that God has done. If you remember when the Israelites crossed through on dry ground, the Red Sea, when God parted those waters through Moses' leadership, it says in the next chapter in the book of Exodus that they sang to the Lord a new song. When Isaiah talks about The former things that have come to pass and new things that God says he's going to declare. He says, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Then Isaiah writes, sing to the Lord a new song. His praise. From the end of the earth. And then in Revelation chapter 5. When no one could be found to break the seal and open the scrolls. There was one in heaven that was found as John was writing that prophetic word. And he saw this Lamb of God. Who was worthy. As Revelation 5, 9, 10 says. It says, and they sang a new Song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. It's no accident, no accident that the new song that was being sung. In heaven, and that is being sung now in heaven, that that new song is directly linked in Revelation 5 to the nations singing to God a new song. And in Psalm 96, a coronation psalm of not the kingship of David, but of the bringing in of the Ark of the Covenant. Look in Chronicles. That's the context. Many of these words in Psalm 96 come straight from there in Chronicles. When the Ark of the Covenant was brought into its rightful place. The coronation of the King of Israel. For that ark represented his glory, his power, his presence, his cleansing of sin. And this call in Psalm 96 is for the nations to sing to him a new song. This is a missionary psalm, an evangelistic psalm, but truly a psalm of praise. Verse 2 again says, sing to the Lord in case you missed it the first time. Sing not once. Sing again in Hebrew, repetition means emphasis. Sing to the Lord. But he adds then, bless his name in verse 2. To bless God's name is to praise God's name. In the Bible, a person's name always represents who that person is. So we're called to praise God for who God is. That's what praise is all about. not about us. It's about God and who He is. Verse 2 continues. Tell of His salvation from day to Day. The Hebrew verb there means to bear good tidings, to herald, or to preach. There is a translation made of the Old Testament. If you've done some Bible study, some of you Sunday school teachers, you may sometimes see something referenced, and then there'll be parentheses, and say L-X-X, 70. That's 70 in Roman numerals. It, it's, it stands for a translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. And many times in the New Testament, when you see the Old Testament referenced because they're speaking Koine, common language Greek there in the New Testament, they will often reference that Septuagint. The Septuagint translation of Psalm 96 verse 2 uses the word that we say in English for evangelize. To evangelize, it means to proclaim, herald, announce good news. And we're to tell of that salvation. The Lord is my salvation, as Jennifer saying. That's the very name of Jesus, the God who saves. And we're to tell of that from day to day without ceasing. I, I love how in the book of Acts, chapter 4, those apostles that had witnessed the risen Christ were imprisoned, they were held in bondage, and then they were interrogated by the same Jewish leaders that put Jesus to death, that condemned him to death, I should say. And those same leaders warned them, we're going to release you, but you can't talk to anybody else about Jesus. In Acts 4.20, they say, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. Is that us? Are we able to say, I I just, I can't stop talking about Jesus. I, I love hearing stories of people who take the gospel to the workplace, who just refuse to not stop praising and telling of the words of God. That's how it should be. That's how it must be if the nations are to hear the name of Jesus. Verse 3 tells another command, so we're to sing, we're to bless, we're to tell of His salvation, His glorious works. It says, we are to declare both God's glory among the nations and His marvelous works among all the people. You see, God's glory is revealed by His marvelous works that He's done. The idea in the Old Testament, that the literal word for, for glory means Heavy. It means weight. And and a person would come back from winning the battle with the spoils of victory. And the glory of their victory would be the greatest glory when they had the most heavy spoil they bring back. For this is a victorious psalm to a victorious king. It means God's reputation and God's substance of who he is is weighty, lofty deep the essence of who god is is his glory and all the peoples of the earth the psalmist says need to know about how great and how glorious this god truly is tell of his works for his works reveal his glory but why why are we to do these things why are we to do the very things that psalm 96 1 2 and 3 tell us well verse 4 tells us why For, or because, it's the ground for the first three verses. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Donald Williams in his commentary, I think I put this in your insert, He says, if our hymns are sung by rote and our prayers are mumbled, this tells us much about the God we think we are addressing. He is a fantasy of our imagination, a distant first cause, or an absentee landlord. And that, my friends, that's the definition of God of the American culture. That A majority say they believe in God. That's the definition of God. This distant first cause, this absentee landlord, yet the commentator writes, Yahweh, that's the Lord's name, I am that I am, however deserves better. I love this phrase. He writes, great. Worship is deserved by a great God. And if our worship and praise is not great, then by definition, we are declaring to anyone that might hear us praise and worship that our God's not a great God. He is worthy. Psalm 150 bring out every single instrument and let it, everything has breath. Let it all praise God. He's worthy of that much praise. Oh, I love it when the orchestra plays. Man, bring all those instruments out because God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of the electric guitar, the bass guitar, the drums, the piano, the bongos. Whatever instrument has ever been invented, He is worthy of that praise. That's the idea in the Psalms because God is great and greatly to be praised. Let our praise be great, not for us, but for Him Verse 5 also tells us why we should sing our praise to the Lord. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord, he writes, made the heavens. God is to be feared above all of these worthless gods or idols of this world because the Lord, he is the creator, he is the maker maker of heaven and earth. In the ancient Near East, the idea was always the higher you would go, the closer you would go to the local god that you worshipped. That's why so many times you read the Old Testament, the good kings, the bad kings. It would speak of the good kings and some of them would go to the high places in Israel and tear down the altars because what was happening in Israel during the idolatry period of their history is they would go up to the hills and they bow down and worship to other gods. And Isaiah is so zealous for the holiness of God that you read Isaiah, he mocks very strongly this concept. He says, how can you worship this statue block of wood, the minute before you're using wood to burn your fire so you can eat your food, and now you're bowing down to this same block of wood. How? Why? The Holy One of Israel. He declares the end for the beginning. He can speak. He sees. He knows. He is the Lord. That's why we should sing praise to God because all the gods of this world, little g gods, are worthless idols. Paul writes about this in the controversy in the book of Corinth when they were dealing with what to do when you've come out of idolatry, paganism, and you can find really inexpensive meat that had been used in the temple, it was on sale. Don't you like to go through the grocery store and find that sticker on the meat that's on sale? That's just what they were doing. They were finding the meat that was on sale. And and folks who had strong convictions that the Lord is the only true God, who cares if this meat was used in a pagan temple? It's good steak, right? It's good meat. I'm going to eat it. Yet there were some who had come out of the paganism who were now Christians who felt like their conscience was just being gripped and hurt because of what was happening in the early church. So what does Paul say? Paul defines the reality. And Paul does, by the way, say, don't do anything to cause your brother to stumble. Those who are strong, just don't eat of that food. Just don't do it. Have mercy. That's what the body is to be. We're to care for each other and put the needs of others above our own. But look what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 8, 4. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols... We know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. Elsewhere, Paul will say that the demons are the ones behind the idols. But in verse 6, the psalmist gives more reasons why we... I want to say that God is great and greatly to be praised. He personifies in verse 6 splendor and majesty as if they were attendants in the heavenly courts of God the King. Literally before His face is what it means in the Hebrew Our splendor and majesty. As well our strength and beauty in His sanctuary. Splendor, majesty, strength, and beauty all around this great king. How could anyone not sing praise to such a great God and king? But the command of praise and worship continues in verses 7 through 9 when he says a scribe. That's, that's one word. It's not a <laughs> space scribe. No, it's, it means to give. It means to give. So give To the Lord, who is to give or ascribe to the Lord? Not just this church, not just a small group of people, but the families of the peoples. Based on the rest of the psalm, the families of the peoples are the families or the literally the tribes in the Hebrew of all the peoples of the earth. Every nation, every tribe. Here's the great commission. Right here. Every tribe would give God the glory. This is the fuel for missions that the nations might give God the glory that he deserves. For to describe to the Lord glory and strength. Verse 8 continues bring an offering, come into his courts. We're not to come into the king's very presence empty handed. We're to bring an offering. And the idea in the Hebrew here is not necessarily a sacrificial offering, but a thanksgiving offering. Praise that cost us something. Verse 9 goes on. Worship the Lord. Worship in the Hebrew means to bow face down. And we're to worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness because where the glory of God is found, the holiness of God is always close by. For Isaiah, a mere mortal, just a man, had this incredible vision of God where he was caught up into the very throne room of God, much like John was caught up and Revelation to see all the things that he saw and wrote about. And there Isaiah sees the Lord who is seated upon a throne. And the train of his robe fills the temple. Just imagine walking into this church. And there's this exalted throne. And the very robe of God fills the entire room. And these strange creatures are flying around. And what are those angelic beings saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That's Jehovah Sabaoth. It's a name of God, which means the Lord of heaven's armies. Oh, that's why Psalm 2 could say that God can scoff at the rulers of the earth who want to resist his glory and his power. He is the Lord of heaven's armies. You get to the book of Revelation. There's not much of a battle at the end in Armageddon. Jesus is on his horse. He comes back. He just speaks. Battle's over. The Lord of heaven's Armies is not just one time holy not just two times holy but thrice holy, holy, holy the Lord of hosts is holy and the whole earth is full of his glory and if the whole earth is full of his glory then every person on the planet should give him glory that's the idea Verse 9 continues, a fitting response to the glorious king. Tremble before him. Tremble. Reverential fear before this God. Who again, not just a few, but all the earth trembled before God. And the last stanza of the psalm begins with verse 10. We are to, as verse 10 begins, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. This is not just some quiet declaration made inside the church walls. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. We're also to say among the nations, verse 10, the world is established. It shall never be moved. There is a God on the throne. This world is established. He reigns. Verse 10 tells us yet you other know, things to say to the, to the nations, that the Lord will judge the peoples with equity. And in verses 11 and 12, Everything in heaven and on earth in this mighty crescendo of praise is called to rejoice and sing to the Lord. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar. Let all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. It's not just Hebraic poetry. Oh, there's poetry there, but it's a very fulfillment Promise where Paul writes in Romans 8 that the creation is crying out, groaning for redemption, but the king is coming. And what did Jesus say? If these won't praise me, the very rocks will cry out. And all creation, cosmic praise going forth to the Lord, this king. It's all happening before. The Lord. So why should all of creation do this? Verse 13 tells us, for he comes. It's an awesome song by Johnny Cash. You need to listen to. It's called When the Man Comes Around, A Few Years Old. Just go find it. So your assignment is listen to the rest of Sing Your Praise to the Lord. And go find Johnny Cash's song, When the Man Comes Around. Because he's coming. The king is coming. And when he comes, he will judge the earth. He will judge, the scripture says, the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. When we think of God coming to judge, we're trained and our inclination is to be afraid and To think of his judgment for sin, and that's true, but I'm just going to read this rather lengthy quote that James Boyce in his commentary writes, being inspired as he was reading through C.S. Lewis's reflection on the Psalms. I think this is in your insert. He says, the striking thing for most of us is the way these verses look forward to God's judgment joyfully it is striking because we usually think of judgment of the judgment of God differently we have been taught to have an acute sense of sin and to be thankful that we will be spared God's judgment because of the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf but as cs lewis points out the ancients lived in a world where judges usually needed to be bribed and right judgment was exceedingly hard to come by especially for the weak Or disadvantaged. In such a climate, the disadvantaged did not fear judgment, but rather longed for it because it meant a day when evil would be punished and those who did the right things would be vindicated. It's exactly what we find in the book of Revelation. I mean, Revelation 18 is the carnage of Babylon, the destruction of Of Babylon in Revelation 18, you get to Revelation 19, the first two verses. All of heaven says, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. Then a few verses later, Revelation 19, 6 through 7 Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, a great crescendo. You see that? And like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God Almighty loves. Now, He does love, but He reigns. He reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready and that's wonderful that marriage supper of the lamb But you just keep reading that revelation 19 that's when jesus comes that's when he comes and that's when the battle is fought and that's when justice is executed and when justice like this comes the bible responds with praise worship joy glory oh we should tremble but we should also rejoice 13 power-packed verses how in the world can we apply it before quickly for ways first we are commanded to respond to God in worship in a multitude of ways listen we all have our preferences some prefer quieter some prefer louder. But there's so many different ways that we can bring our praise to God in this psalm. Speaking out loud, singing, trembling, bowing. The context of the psalm was written As the Ark of the Covenant was brought into Jerusalem, what did David do? He took off his kingly garments and stripped down to his linen ephod. And he danced before God to the scorn of his wife who criticized him about it. He says, I'll be even more undignified than this to give praise to my God. He's worthy of a multiple, multitude of ways that we can respond to. Number two, there is only one true God. All others are false and worthless. There's a strong, exclusive claim upon the true God of Scripture. And we know Him as revealed to us in the person of Jesus. There is no other God worthy of. Worship and praise, but Jesus the Lord. Three, we often think of worshiping God in terms of what we receive from God, but worship is primarily about bringing offerings and praise and glory to God. It's about Him. He is great. He is ready to be praised. Bring an offering. That implies giving your money to the church, giving your time. To his church, giving your talents to his people in the body of Christ. Bring an offering because he's worthy of our very lives. And lastly, if the whole earth is commanded to praise the Lord, then it's our task to declare the Lord Jesus and his mighty works to all people. Pastor, the world's just so big. How do we do that? Together by giving our time and our money, by going and praying. Let's just make it real simple. We'll reach the world the way the world's always been reached and hasn't been reached yet, but we'll reach it through one person at a time. Who's your one? You've seen this graphic put in your bulletins the past few weeks. Who's your one? I think we have the graphic. This is, gonna, this is not a program for us as a church. This is going to become what we're all about. Who's your one person who needs to know how good God is? Who needs to give Him glory? Who needs a relationship with Jesus Christ? And then we'll covenant together as a church. Can you imagine 700 people in worship over the next year? all 700 of us have just one by God's grace 50% were reached in a year that'd be 350 people baptized it's pretty good <laughs> who's your one we reached the world one person at a time. Well, Kate, I mean, you're not saying that Billy, Graham, Billy Graham's amazing. God gave him the gift of mass evangelism. But Jesus, that's how he chose to reach the world through a group of a few people that he discipled. And that gospel message has multiplied from these 12 very ordinary men and a few women along with them. There in Galilee, in that little country of Israel. And my goodness, the gospel has come all the way thousands of years later to LaGrange, Georgia. Sounds like Jesus started with a few. And it multiplied, and there's a whole lot who know him now. Who's your one? If the whole earth is commanded to praise the Lord because he's worthy of our glory and honor and praise, then it starts with us. Who's your one? We've come now to our song of response. it's greatest your faithfulness oh man what a perfect song we get to now sing our praise to the Lord the best invitation I can give to Psalm 96 is just just join join in what the psalmist is writing come join with all the nations and give glory and honor to this God and here's the funny thing that happens when God's people begin to give God glory and tell of his works and live out their faith People start getting saved. People start coming to know Jesus when the church arises to give God the praise that he deserves. Pray with me. Oh God, I pray now as the gospel was heard so clearly through song this morning. And as we've heard this scripture, let us now give you the glory. Let us sing our praise to you because you are great and ready to be praised. There is no other God but you. May we forsake all those idols, cast them down, and come running to you, Jehovah, Yahweh, God. Jesus, you're great. You are coming to set everything right. Let us be found declaring you to the nations, O oh God. Let your church arise, I pray.